HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network On Tour, coming at you today from San Francisco from the Good Food Mercantile. And we are here with special guest, Brian Kenny, one of the OGs of Heritage Radio Network. So, Brian, I wanted to just get your hot take on the mercantile today and any advice you have for any of the up-and-coming food businesses that are here. Yeah, well, the hot take is this is uh, incredible, great energy, amazing food, really exciting people. And um, it reminds me of when I started uh, Pacific Sun Olive Oil in 2000 uh, with, with Brendan Flynn, my best friend from high school. And what we didn't know and all the lessons that we learned, um, I could boil down simply to uh, the following. If you're going to have a specialty food company, you have to have a product with outstanding quality you have to have a story, it should be compelling, and it has to be true. You need to communicate that as directly as possible to your end customer, the end consumer. And when, you're, when you look at selling directly, you are indemnified to a certain extent or inured to um, the different price changes that happen when the product changes hands. So the bottom line is if you're going to sell directly, build pricing, build your pricing such that you can sell to a distributor without having to raise your prices to your direct customer. And, and you can offer them ben- benefits or discounts. But if you're going to go through a broker, they're going to want 10% margin. If you're going to go to a distributor, they're going to want 25 or 30, 35% margin. And when you sell to a retailer, they're going to want 50, in some cases, 75% margin. So you have to build your pricing so that you can make money selling in all of those ways because to make it, you're probably going to have to be able to sell in all those ways. You're probably not going to sell retail directly to consumers. If you were going to start another food business today, (laughs) first thing that comes to mind, what would it be? Uh, (laughs) The first thing that came to mind was don't. Don't do it. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, if I, I don't have... The, a, a product I feel passionate about to go want to start a business right now. So that would be, that's the thing that makes it worthwhile is the passion. So I don't, I would say, let's assume that I did have something. Well, I would start by figuring out where um, I would want to be able to private label for somebody else. I'd want to be able to sell wholesale uh, to somebody else. The private label is important because you can move volume without having to have your brand attached to it. It allows you to build economies of scale. Obviously, you want to have wholesale customers to move volume. Um, 
and then you have to be smart about your retail partners. You really need to work for them because their success is your success. And then you want to be able to have a component where you sell directly to people. So I would say I would need to find something that I'm passionate about. And that would be the compelling reason that would get me out of bed every day because it's a difficult business. And you're really dancing among giants anytime you do this. Like I'm looking at a, a French broad chocolate company. Well, who do they compete with? Well, at a basic level, or the or the other brother olive oil company that we talked to earlier, they they compete with huge companies. So other brother, they're competing with Star, Bertoli. They're also competing with Hain. That on the organic side, they're competing with um, in the smaller side in California. They're competing with companies like the California Olive Ranch, or um, you know, there's a bunch of them. Anyway, big big companies in a small market. So you have to figure out what your differentiation is and you have to give people a reason to buy your product and it needs to taste really good. They have to want to buy it more than once because it costs you a lot of money to sell it to somebody the first time. All those costs are front loaded. Well, Brian, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show and huge thank you to you for your ongoing support and to Hearst Ranch Beef also for being a huge supporter of Heritage Radio Network. We really appreciate you. It's our pleasure and thank you. Have a great day. Thanks you for too. having me. Thank you. Welcome to this special episode of Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Kat Johnson and we're broadcasting from the Good Food Mercantile in San Francisco. Last night we attended the Good Food Awards, which was a lovely ceremony with many really inspiring speeches. And today we get to put into action all of the ideas and the passion and we get to taste all of the cheeses and charcuterie and snacks and preserves that all of the makers brought to San Francisco. And right now I'm sitting with Sue Conley and Amanda Parker from Cowgirl Creamery who, guys, welcome first of all. And how long have you been involved in the Good Food Foundation? Well, Cowgirl Creamery has been involved since the very beginning. And um, Peggy Smith really has taken the lead in our company She's an alum of Chez Panisse, and so she was called upon right away to participate. But we do so enthusiastically, and the earliest days here in San Francisco, we had many of the events at the Ferry Building where we have a shop. So it got too big for the Ferry Building. Now we're over here at the Metrion, which is ginormous and full of uh, visitors and vendors, really exciting. Um, what were some of those early days of the Good Food Foundation like um, when Peggy first kind of got Cowgirl Creamery involved? Well, very uh, seat of your pants, kind of card tables and, you know, um, paper tablecloth kind of activities, but always this level of enthusiasm. And I think that, you know, the, the uh, producers have become more sophisticated. Uh, they've had to up their game in packaging, food safety, marketing. So it might be a little harder to enter the, um, the room here with a product. But um, that's good for all of us, you know, to make better, safer food. It's raising the bar. Yeah. For everybody. Um, so Amanda, you um, 
have are relatively new to Cowgirl Creamery. Yes, um, I am. Tell us a little bit about your role with the company and, and where you where you came from, what your journey to Cowgirl looked like. Sure. Gosh, well, I've been in the cheese industry for about 10 years now. Sounds like a very long time, although not in comparison to you two, Sue and Peg. Um, so I joined the company about four months ago. Uh, before that, I was getting my graduate degree in business here at Berkeley Haas in the Bay Area. And before that, I spent eight years with Murray's Cheese in New York, six of which were spent building out the partnership with Kroger Supermarkets. So a bit of a different environment than the good food collaboration, to be sure, but like-minded, I would say, in trying to spread the mission and values of what it means to be a smaller producer, but a really high quality one, and bring more of those foods to people across America. And now I get to do that through Calgo Creamery, and I'm so delighted to be doing so. We have uh, some friends joining us. Hello, hello. Peggy's here. Peggy, would you like to come sit and, and chat? So we just had Peggy Smith come sit with us, who is the co-founder, along with Sue, of Calgo Creamery. Welcome, Peggy. Oh, thank you. And um, so Amanda was just talking a little bit about your background working with Murray's and then bringing that, um, you know, a smaller brand to Kroger, which is the largest grocery store chain in the country. And I'm curious, and this also relates to Good Food, how it's about to be 10 years old, it's bringing kind of what was like a spark of a movement into mainstream. I mean, we're in a massive hall right now. Um, what do you, like, where do you think we are in the good food movement? We're kind of at kind of a turning point where we're pushing it, pushing the small good food movement to like a bigger platform. And like, what, what are your goals? What do you think is coming next? And how do we make this grow? What do we think is coming next in the food movement? Yeah. Uh, I think it's just having more people go back to producing food that's really well made and um, with great ingredients, fewer ingredients, and trying to be uh, more health-minded in what ingredients they put in their food. And you know what? In the very beginning of uh, the Good Food Movement, the agricultural practices were really in the forefront. So organic agriculture they wanted that to be a requirement in the beginning, didn't they, Peg? Uh, they, with, uh, with good uh, food. It, well, it was uh, a, a good target. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that's what the response to the overly processed packaged foods here at the Fancy Food Show, it was a reaction to that. Like, let's talk about how it's farmed and how it's made with minimal processing and few ingredients. And what I think is so exciting about this is not having been at those original good food shows, now we're seeing retailers walking this show from huge retailers, markets of, uh, that are you know national in scale, global even, because everybody everywhere is caring more and more every day about food in a way that was once concentrated in urban areas or areas that really cared a lot about food or were connected to agriculture. So seeing this growth in scale and being part of it is such an exciting indicator of the future where everyone has access to the kinds of foods that we are lucky enough to enjoy on a daily basis. And in your experience, do you think that consumers have become a lot more savvy to what they're looking out for? Because I mean, we talk about a, a middle of America Kroger shopper. Think they're, I think that they've changed in the past decade. 
Absolutely. And I think that's just, it's due to a number of factors. And you can talk about all of these market trends as much as you want, but at the end of the day, more people are putting better foods in their mouths. And those better foods have fewer ingredients, a cleaner label, a story behind them. They're organic, they're non-GMO, they're all the, th the characteristics that now big companies have to create or buy, in fact, and, and, and are creating this really interesting ecosystem of just consumers driving demand in a way that is really good for all of us that have always cared about those things. But now we're just seeing everyone, everyone adopting it everywhere. It's awesome. You know, I want to say something about that, though, because I think that, that everybody always acts like mid-America is no man's land. And I don't think that's really true. I think there are pockets of people everywhere in the world that have always cared about what they eat and how they prepare things. And I, I feel now that with um, social media or just media intention in general has really um, promoted it in a way, good food in a way that it, it just has more attention. I, I think we've always had people that have been caring about it. What do you think, Sue? Well, sure. Um, Especially, you know, with, with the uh, the health food trends that uh, started in the 60s and 70s, you know, that's definitely been true, that, that it's all over the United States, pockets of advocates for healthy farming and good food. But speaking of trends, do you think that having the Good Food Foundation push for more lasting education around food is really going to be something that won't be a trend and will stick around. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, if you see how, do you remember Slow Food Nations? Did you go to Slow Food Nation? I've been both years. All right. Well, the, the re, the re, the, yeah, yeah, the one in Denver. Yeah, it's I amazing. Didn't, I didn't get to go to the one in Denver, but the one in San Francisco in um, 2008 or I believe 2007. So. You know, that was just so fantastic to to bring all these producers together to show that you know we're we're doing this. This isn't like a new bubble that just popped up. And, and to have the Good Food Mercantile, this show, and to watch it grow and to watch the amount of people come is so inspiring. And it's, it's really great for young producers, or new producers, I should say, because they're not always young, um, to have an outlet to showcase. I think so. And, and speaking to what Amanda was saying, I think it's really great to see the, the retailers and the people that are attending the show to, to find out who's here. I mean, a friend of mine was in the Neiman Marcus catalog because Neiman Marcus was here last year and decided to put her bitters in there. So that's what's- How funny. Fantastic. Yeah, and really great and makes me feel like this is gonna have a real lasting and, you know, lasting impact. I wanna quickly ask about um, one of the relatively new or relaunched products of Cowgirl Creamery, the Clabbered Cottage Cheese. Yes, please. Let's hear about it, because I'm a big fan of cottage cheese. Did you taste it? I have. Okay. Yes. It's really good. It's so good. 
and it's the first cheese I learned to make. Really? And we thought we would always just make fresh cheese, and cottage cheese was uh, everyone's favorite, but it required a lot of um, water to produce and a lot of space, and we didn't have either one of those things in Point Reyes, so we had to discontinue it for how many years, Peggy? Uh, I think we stopped making it in maybe 2003 or yeah, two. Yeah, I mean, it's been time. a long time. And uh, we just moved into a new creamery with very efficient equipment. And so we're able to make it again. It's so exciting. Now, when you make cottage cheese, you have a byproduct of whey, correct? Um, yeah, every cheese. Every cheese. Yeah. but. Um, what, what are you guys doing with the whey, if anything? The piggies eat it. Nice. We have two organic uh, pig farms that pick up from us, and it's a very valuable commodity for them, especially since it's certified organic. It's amazing. Um, and so what other cheeses besides the cottage cheese do you have here today? I think we have Hopalong, uh, which is a new cheese that we make that's cider washed. And uh, we have Mount Tam. And also, I should say, just to interrupt, sorry, Peg, um, Hopalong was the very first Good Food original that we created in conjunction with the Good Food Foundation and was released exclusively through that partnership. So it's just the beginning of a whole wave of, we think, new products that can be dedicated to begin with these really high-quality retailers and see what that looks like as a, as a brand, as a partnership. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, Mount Tam. The Mount Tam cheese. Yeah. Do we have wagon? I don't know if we. Have I don't. It. I haven't been to the booth yet, really. <laughs> we have wagon wheel. <laughs> we have wagon wheel. Some of the classic Calgary yeah. green cheeses. Um, so, what are what's next for this year? What is uh, on the horizon for Calgary Creamery? I think what we're going to do this year is really concentrate on on what we're doing now and. Um, Increase efficiencies, but um, we're gonna we're gonna probably monkey around with uh, some new ideas for new cheeses. But we really want to be solid with what we're making now. We're expanding the distribution a little bit to introduce other areas to our cheese. How challenging is that? Very. I, I keep hearing from a lot of uh, makers and artisans here that dis distribution is one of the toughest aspects of the business when you're a small producer. Distribution is really a trick. You know, um, there's a lot to think about with how, how far you want to expand your business or how quickly, how much you can service, who they service, how the people are to work with. Um, we have very good partners that we work with in distribution. And, um, and we distribute ourselves yes, to about 700 accounts in yeah. the Bay Area. In the, we work in the, in the Bay Area, but um, we have really good relationships with the people that we work with, and we've worked on those relationships for a, a long time. There have been a lot of consolidations uh, with different distributors, which sometimes can... Um, muddy the waters a little, but we're fortunate with who we work with. Amazing. 
Um, well, I appreciate the three of you for sitting down with me and catching us up on all the latest news with Cowgirl Creamery and talking about the genesis of this movement and all the work that you've all been doing to push it forward. I mean, I don't think that it would be quite as an amazing of an event without Cowgirl Creamery. Well, we love our we love our heritage radio too. Thank, thank you. you. That's so nice. Yeah, <laughs> um, thank you again to Sue Conley, Peggy Smith, and Amanda Parker of Cowgirl Creamery for chatting with us today. I'm Kat Johnson, and we'll be back with more Heritage Radio Network on tour. Welcome to this special episode of Heritage Radio Network on tour, broadcasting from the Good Food Mercantile in San Francisco. I am Luke Schmucker from Shaxbury Cider, and I'm here with Louisa from Big Picture Farm. Hey, Luke. Hey, how are you? Good. Psyched to be here. Yeah, Vermont in the house. Woohoo! Uh, what'd you guys win for? We won for our Maple Milk Caramel. It's our fourth Good Food Award. We're super psyched. Delicious. Yes. Yes. So just for people who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Big Picture Farm? Sure. Big Picture Farm. We are a small goat dairy in southern Vermont. We milk 45 goats and we use all our milk to make our caramel. You have one of also the most beautiful Instagram accounts, I think. I don't remember what your handle is off the top of the head. At Big Picture Farm. Check it out. Definitely check it out. It is absolutely beautiful. Thank you. How did you decide on the the collars that you have for your goats? Oh, yeah, the collars. We get a lot of comments on our collars. Um, It's important for goats to have bling. It's why they like Good Food Awards, because they get to (laughs) wear new necklaces. Yes. Uh, Yeah, so the collars are actually family chains. So um, some of our goats, you know, when you have 45, they start to look more closely alike. And so it helps us be like, okay, all of these ones are related, and which is also obvious because all the related goats sleep in the same pile together. Mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmas. It's pretty awesome. It's what's special about our farm. We keep our moms and their kids together through their whole life. That's crazy. What? So what would be the advantage of keeping them to like obviously you want to have some way of knowing who's who but like what's the advantage of knowing that uh just it's more helpful to be like if goat's sick you can be like this is eloise versus woodsy it's more that the moms daughters and granddaughters start to all look alike like from family line to family line they look totally different but the ones that are directly related start to look a lot alike and if people wanted to find your products where how many states are you guys in? Where are you guys? Yeah, so we sell to um, over a thousand stores across the country. Um, we do we self distribute everything, so we're selling to all specialty food stores, design shops, gift shops, um, small mom and pop shops. Um, we don't use distributors, so we don't sell to a lot of your bigger stores, um, and that's uh, in large part due to our shelf life, which is short because we want to make sure that the main ingredient in our caramel is milk, and that's highlighted as opposed to being um, filled with preservatives or too much sugar. What do people, do they just eat the caramels as snacks? Like, what do you pair it with? What yeah, a, um, I like to eat caramels for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, obviously. <laughs> um, it's a really nice little pick-me-up in your pocket, just a little boost of yumminess. Um, it's a great treat. It's a super gift. Um, people use them as gifts a lot. Um, After-dinner snack with cheese, wine, cider. Yeah. So you live this idyllic life up in Vermont. Is there a way for people to come and visit you guys up there? That's a great question, Luke. Uh, We just started um, last year. We bought the last piece of the farm and it has this epically beautiful farmhouse and it sleeps 20 so you and a couple of your friends can come by and rent it out and um, milk the goats and make cheese and do whatever you want. 
How do people find out about that? Uh, check us out at Big Picture Farm, and there's a link to our farmhouse page, or fi look for Google us on Airbnb. Awesome. Well, uh, I know you have to run back over to your booth, but thanks for uh, coming over and hanging out. And thank you for listening to HRN on Tour. Listen to more interviews from the Good Food Mercantile at heritageradionetwork.org.